Blog Talk Radio. My brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe, it's 0600 hours Eastern, or Romeo for you nautical types, 1000 hours Greenwich or Zulu time. This is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. And I'm William Eastman, managing partner for Applied Knowledge Labs North America, or better known around here as Just the Labs. We're a business research company that is changing the formula of success for companies from zero to $50 million in revenue, and I'm your t- host now for the next 30 minutes, and today's show is going to be talking about the last of the three best practices from, of market intelligence, and that's targeted industries. Uh, but before we get into that, we have some administrative to deal with. First of all, if you want to join us, you can click chat now on our show page at blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder. T-H-E hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R. You can dial in and join us at the switchboard and get online to 347-215-7471. That's 347-215-7471. You can twit me, not tweet, because I'm not a bird. And so you can twit me uh, on Twitter at W Eastman, W-E-A-S-T-M-A-N which is open and being monitored at the moment. And, of course, we always have the blog, which also has a link on our show page. Um, Just click it, and what the blog does is one of the three corporate blogs or many corporate blogs that we operate, this one uh, provides show notes. And uh, Or you can Google it and uh, simply type in the rudder, T-H-E, space R-U-T-T-E-R, space blog, and it should come up above the fold. Okay, so... Let's rock and roll, and let's start off and see where we've been. Monday is always a good day to do that. Kind of collect yourself and say, what has happened and what is going to happen? Right now, we're in the middle of a series on best practices, 43 shows, and I believe that this is show number five. But just to give you a sense of where we've been, we've, we've done three series so far. Two are completed. The first series we did was covering the stages of growth, essential information for entrepreneurs and business owners, because if you say to yourself, is growth predictable in terms of the stages you go through and the issues you're confronted with, the answer is absolutely yes. There's no guarantee that you'll grow the firm just because you know it, but at least it tells you where your priority should be and where what you should do. And we detailed that pretty much in that series. So let me go through that quickly. Stage one, which was before you start selling, and that is you've got an idea, and you want to turn that into something tangible. We call that the dream, the plan. And that is getting your act together and getting something ready to sell. That is show number 577-302. Stage two, cash is king. You've gone live, and it's all about selling. Sell, sell, sell. And what are the demands and challenges of that stage? And if you want to take a look at that one and download it, that is show 577-303. Then there's stage three, next act. It's the first of two breathers you get to take here. You say, okay, we now have sufficient and predictable cash flow that we can run the business, we've proven the business right there, and we have some money to reinvest into the firm. And 
Stage three is what we call the next act. Okay, now what do we do? And really what this is about is building the capacity into the firm for your next stage, which is hockey stick growth. And so the next act, um, stage three, show notes, 577-309. Then stage four is hockey stick growth. We call it growth to, the capacity, growth to capacity because in the previous stage, you made a decision about giving your investments in the market how big do you want to get in this next in the, in this first growth spurt of your company? You built the capacity. Now it's an issue. Do you grow to that capacity? So that's stage four. Show notes five seven seven three one nine. And then after that's over, you get to take your second breather. That's stage five, where you make some decisions about your future. And we say you have three choices: you sell, you grow, or you decline. Um, if you're going to sell the firm and that's your plan, it's no time better than to sell it either now or after you do this again because the firm will never be worth more um, in the market than at, the, at stage five. Now, if you make a decision um, not to decline, and by the way, if you think you can stand pat, you don't, you grow or you go away. And so you make a decision to grow, then that takes us to stage six, and that is what we call uh, path to market dominance. By the way, if you want a stage five show, that show notes 577-320. And stage six talks about how do you reinvent the firm and what is your path to market dominance. And that show notes there are 577-322. And of course, when you finish this stage, then where are you? You're back to stage three, next act. And if you can visualize this, you've got this loop going around. And as we talked about in one of the earlier shows, is that companies that become market dominators go through four reinventions, four stage sixes. And so if you've got this one done, one down, three to go. Then we said, okay, the next series was, let's take a look at what those companies did. And in stage one, what did they do? What are the things that they did in, in around their strategy? What were the common characteristics? And what we identified is that there were six elements six elements of strategy of those companies that made them market dominators, that made them billion-dollar firms, that took them to public, if that's what your goal is. Uh, the first element was they did business in a new way, is that they were unique and distinctive right out, of, right out of the box, and it was obvious. You didn't have to, you may have to explain to people what some things meant, but you did not have to point out why you were different than everybody else. It was completely obvious. If you'd like to take a look at that element, those show notes 597, 380. Element number two was looking for and attacking low-cost, high-margin opportunities, which, by the way, we're going to cover to some degree today uh, in, in terms of the details, the best practices of that. And that simply says is that what your goal is to, is to obtain and maintain a 60% gross margin in your operation. Well, how do you do that? Well, that's element number two, and that is show 597-385. The third one was the issue of taking monumental risk. And what happens to most entrepreneurs is that when you get into business and you, you take out the loans, you mortgage the house, you get the lines of credit, whatever you've got to do, you invest all your money, you sell out your retirement plan, you sell your property, like some crazy people I know, um, you say, okay, now I'm done. And then what you have a tendency to do is say, I have no more tolerance for risk, and you take it easy. Uh-uh. The, the, the companies that are going to dominate have to be willing to, at this point, even take bigger risk. Monumental risk is what the third element was because if you're going to be a market dominator, you've got to get out there and you have got to get out there in a big way. And so 
what do you need to do to take monumental risk? And then on the other side, engineer away those risks tactically that show 597-390. The fourth one was, fourth element was the issue of exponential returns, not only exponential returns externally, which is what we talked about and impact low cost, high margin opportunities, but also exponential returns internally in terms of not only performance of what your internal systems do, but actually turning some of those cost centers into profit centers, as we talked about in element one about doing business in a new way. So if you'd like to check that one out on how to get exponential returns from the firm, that's 597-395. The fifth one was thriving on deals, partnerships, and alliances, and that had to do with how do you find marquee customers, how do you find infrastructure that perhaps you can partner on instead of build? How do you find people that will co-develop, co-develop with you? And so what you can do is that you can speed up your product development cycle. Uh, it's, a, it's a killer. We're going to deal with some of that today. Element 5, that's our show 597-399. And finally, the last one, Element 6, is that what all these companies did is they simply just outmanaged everybody else. That um, Part of this is using the Gretzky analogy and I'll stick with hockey for a second, is that you go to where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is. That's doing business in a new way. But on the other hand is that we also know is that in hockey, the game is won or lost on the boards, and the team that wants the puck more who can get on the boards and dig it out of the team that wins, and that's the issue about managing your competition. And that's show number 597-402. And so those are the two series. They're critical to your understanding of growing your company. Right, if you haven't downloaded it, I heartily recommend you listen to those shows. What we're now into is we're into the show five around best practices, and that if you want to get the overview of the best practices of fast and sustainable growth, that's show number 616140. So today, what are we doing? We're doing, we're in the, we're in category number one of four categories, which is around this topic of market intelligence. We've already covered competitive landscape uh, on Thursday, product and knowledge on Friday, and today we're going to be talking about targeted industries, not accounts. We haven't got there yet. We're going to get there into the next series. We're talking about which industries do you want to go for, or for those of you who have some formal marketing uh, training background, college, etc., it's turning Pam into Sam. In other words, looking at the total available market for your company and saying, of all of the custom, of all the industries in the universe, where do we want to focus or target? And SAM stands for Specified Available Market. Here are the particular places that we want to play. Okay, best thing to do is to start off with is telling you that this is show 616217, which will be available to you in about one hour. So targeted industries, based upon the competitive landscape, based upon getting a good and accurate picture of what's going on, and that will show 616213. Selecting specific industries with unserved or underserved needs and the potential for high economic return. So in some ways, it was talking about element two, uh, show 597385 about attacking low cost, high margin opportunities. How do you identify those? Well, what we've got here, we've got four attributes, four behaviors those companies did. So the first one is new uses for existing offer. <clears throat> And what you're doing here is you're trying to identify what are the more profitable industries both now and the immediate future. Um, where, where is growth going on today in the economy for what you offer 
and where in the immediate future it's going to go. Now, nobody is prescient. Nobody has a crystal ball. So to say, well, this is where the industry is going to be in five years uh, is a great um, intellectual exercise, but my guess is totally wrong. Uh, well, maybe not totally wrong, but uh, dangerously uh, weak would probably be the best one there. And what you want to do is that you're looking to either one, if you're a new startup company, is say, where does our offer best match? If you're a company that's been in business, then you say, gee, can we expand the industries that we're currently in to cover some others that match our offer? And so what you're doing here is you're looking for two things. And by the way, the research methodology, how to do this, which I'm not going to cover because I've already covered that, that's show 597-380, do business in a new way. There's two things you're looking for. One is where is the greatest growth going on? In a given economy, which parts of the economy is experiencing growth? And so, for example, in the United States today, you can take a look at it, and there's not a lot of growth going on, but there's a couple places. So, for example, companies or industries, I should say, that somehow will benefit from all the stimulus funds coming out of the government as a potentially growth industry. Uh, most people are saying construction, uh, but on the other hand, if you look at some of the, the companies who make money off construction, like Caterpillar, uh, they're, having a, they're having another terrible quarter. But where is that growth? Another place that's happening is in healthcare in the United States. But with the movement of the government to take that over, investing in the private sector, I don't know. But that's one of the issues to say, where is growth going on in the economy right now? Number two, the second thing you want to do is you want to say, where are the highest margin industries? Which industries right now have either been, one, able to hold their price? Because what is interesting, typically what happens in an economic downturn, is that you have industries who begin to reduce price to hold accounts. Because you typically don't see a huge reach out for new accounts in a downturn. In fact, we are going to do a whole series on best practices based on, on economics, uh, and, but that won't happen until September, and we'll announce it at the time, is the issue of um, companies hold their base is what their emphasis is. So now if you look at companies who are doing well in, say, this economy, who are the ones who have been either able to hold their price? They haven't done any price discounts to keep customers or attract customers, but in fact, it, maybe they've been increasing price. And so you can take a look at that, and it's pretty easy to do. We covered that in the, in the session on doing business in a new way. Uh, but if you, are, if you trade stocks, if, or a different way of saying this to you, is view yourself in this case as a stockbroker. And if you've got a stock account, or if you don't have a stock account, it may be smart to open one up, maybe put 100 bucks in it, and do a search of what industries are doing the best right now and which, which, which industries are a pick uh, by the stock pickers in terms of where they would invest. That'll give you an interesting insight because the stock brokers, I'm not sure that I would follow their advice on what stocks to buy, but they're usually very right about what industries are in a growth stage. So that's one. New uses for existing office offer. Number two is understanding trends. And um, we covered this, I think, pretty well, both in the do business in a new way and also looking for low-cost, high-margin opportunities, uh, those two shows, which I've already given you show numbers on. And what is this? This is identifying um, the issues affecting value to the customers. 
or to the customer's customer if you are in the B2B. If, you're, if you are a business that sells to businesses, then a place to look is not only to your customer to find out what's happening to value uh, that, to them, but what value are they, having, are they providing their customers and what is happening to their customers that's impacting their business? Because obviously, if they're selling to customers and you're selling to them, what their customers are doing to them is pretty much what they're going to do to you. So what's going on there? And also, you want to take a look at the competition. Now, the goal of this is to compete in, the, in advance. The idea is to try to understand where the puck is going to be. And the other thing that you need to know, and this is an old saying from the stock market, which I absolutely believe in, even though I am not an investor in the stock market, and that is that trend is your friend. Don't buck the trend at the moment. Um, and so you want to say to yourself, what are the economic trends? What are the demographic trends? So. Let's, let's look at the trends. To me, the advice I would give you and what I've seen from these companies is look for the non-manipulated trends. For example, government spending versus changes in demographics. Government spending can always change in a moment. And though the government says that they're going to put tons of money, say, into shovel-ready projects, uh, the reality is is not, not much of that money is showing up. So if you listen to the government in January in the United States, and you said, okay, all the companies that are in construction are going to do well. We're going to, that's who we're going to go after. You'll find out that none of that money got to them. So that's kind of a manipulated trend. And you, you, I'm not sure that I personally have the trust that I'll go, okay, I'm going to bet the company on that. But rather, I'm going to look at trends for which can't be manipulated, such as the change in demographics, um, the aging of the population in the United States and uh, Scandinavia in Europe is a fact, uh, and I should say the United States, North America, excuse me, is a fact. There's nothing that can be done about that. There's nothing going to be manipula manipulated. So as the, the populace ages, what are the implications for which industries? And those are industries that are probably going to experience some growth regardless of the economy because somebody's going to have to deal with that. And so... That's an example of looking for trends, and I would say to you, as you get those trends, separate them into two groups. The group, the, the trends that are kind of locked in and they're going to happen no matter what versus the trends that can be manipulated. The ones that can be manipulated, your risk is much higher about going after those, and though I'm a proponent of taking monumental risk, not necessarily here. Um, and then the other place to look is to look at um, an industry's value chain. And we talked about this a little bit before when we said you don't want to just look at your customers. You want to look at your customers' customers. Well, you also want to look at your customers' suppliers. And so if I look at an industry and say, okay, now what industries supply to that and what industries buy from that? And I want to look at that whole chain of events because that perspective may, may give me a different view of what trends are relevant and which trends I'm willing to bet on. So that's the second of four. Let me take a break now and talk a little bit about our company, Applied Knowledge Labs. And I said at the beginning here that we're a business research company. Well, let me turn that into English. That's the quickest way I can say it in the intro. Here's basically what we do. We study why companies grow and why companies fail. We study how companies can grow fast and sustain that growth and not put themselves out of business. Because as we talked about much earlier in, this, in one of the earlier series is that is the issue of there are two major failure points in, in small business. Failure point number one is stage two, where the company cannot 
to gain enough sales to stay in business long enough to test out the business idea, the products and services, the business model, etc. The second failure point is when you go after stage four and you go after the hockey stick growth. And if you don't do that correctly, if you don't get the right balance between marketing and sales and capacity or, or your ability to produce things, what happens is you destroy your working capital. Well, what we did is we looked at the companies that did that and said, okay, what are the characteristics? And instead of trying to sell you consulting services, instead of trying to sell you training, instead of trying to offer advice, our feeling was that you got two issues with small businesses and entrepreneurs. Number one is that an inherent distrust of, of consultants, which, by the way, I'm in the industry, I absolutely agree with, because the vast majority of them purport to be experts at something that they're really not. They read a book or two, and then they're coming in, and they're messing with your firm, and you're messing with your baby here. So it's like messing with your kids. Um, you're not going to let strangers do that for the most part. So what we decided to do was to take, these, take this information or knowledge and turn it into products that had a very low, low price point. In fact, we, we had a kind of a saying is that <clears throat> we eliminated prices and objection. Uh, nobody's ever said we're not buying from you guys because of price. So we took those products and turned those products into the quickest way of giving you information. So we sell an assessment and we sell surveys. The assessment is called forecast, and it's kind of like going to the Mayo Clinic where you get a diagnostic, a full-body checkup. You go in there and you say to the doctors, do me, and they do CAT scans, they do CRI, uh, they, they, they do, uh, well, whatever that is, since I'm going so fast, CAT scans, MRIs, they do blood chemistry, you know, basically they do the whole thing, and they sit you down and say, okay, you don't, you don't have diabetes, you don't have this, you don't have that, but we're concerned about this. That's what forecast does. Or if you know what's wrong with you, you go to the doctor and say, hey, doc, I think I broke my ankle. Doctor's not going to do a CAT scan of your brain, and so he's going to target on that one area. Well, what we have is a series of surveys that will give you feedback on particular issues. We can talk about employee engagement. If you're worried about what the performance is in the organization, we can take a look at your processes to say, what is your productive capacity, in other words, given the resources that you got, are you producing what you could be producing? We take a look at sales to say, hey, given your sales force, are they properly deployed? Or what sales model are they using, etc. So we have those type of surveys that will say to you, okay, where are you? And our sole goal is accuracy. Since we don't sell any services, we are data atheists. I don't care what your data says, and you're not in a position where you have to defend it. My job is to create the most accurate picture possible so you have better information to make better decisions. So that's what we have to offer. And if you're interested, a couple ways to handle it. One is you can send me an email at eastman at aklabs.org. That's A-K-L-A-B-S dot org. Or you can call me on the Hype, uh, Skype hotline, uh, which we just set up, which is 804-471-1660. That's 804-471. 4711660. Okay, so that's how you can get out of stuff. And of course, you can do a search on Flight Knowledge Labs, websites, blogs, the whole bit. We got, we got tons of stuff out there. All right, what's the third attribute? What is the third set of behaviors of this best practice around trying to figure out which industries to target? And that is identifying what potentially would be the best customers. Um, Sometimes you can, you can lock an industry out and say, that industry, yes, this industry, no. But other times you can't. So maybe what we want to do here is potentially, who are the best customers out there? And you may find a pattern to say, most of those customers are in two or three industries. Or as we've done is we've opened up locations. We uh, have offices in Calgary, Las Vegas, Kansas City, and now in Richmond, Virginia. 
what we do is we go into a region and we say, what are the best industries? That's another way you can do it. But what you want to do is say, when I look at an industry, um, who are the best customers and who are the worst customers? Uh, now, what do I mean by that? Okay, I want to understand as as I make the transition from marketing to sales, which accounts are really the best match? Okay, which ones which ones present themselves as the ones where it will take the lowest amount of cost to acquire those sales, as well as the, what the lowest cost is going to be for servicing them. In other words, if I've got to substantially uh, engineer my offer in order to get the business, then maybe I don't want to do that unless, of course, I'm really in cash issues. Then maybe it doesn't matter. But what I want to say to myself, who is a good match for us? And who could we get re reasonably easier or easier than others? Our offer is pretty close to what they're looking for. So we engineering. And then the type of support they're going to need is a pretty good match to what we have the ability to do. The other side of that is that who are the people who perhaps have the ability to pay, okay? Which ones are not being so pressed by the current economic conditions? And even though we're in an economic recession in most parts of the world, I'd say this to you if we're in an economic upswing because there are some companies who, for whom, since they compete on price, uh, price is what they're about. There are other companies who compete on service or product quality, and that gives you a little bit more flexibility on what you can charge them. Okay, so what you're trying to identify is what do the best matches look like and what do the worst matches look like. So when you see them, you can say, aha, jump this one, or you can look at it and go, hoo-hoo, let's run, 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 run. Okay, and so part of this is looking for the marquee customer, that customer who has the best match of for your offer with the lowest cost of acquisition and the lowest, uh, and the lowest cost of delivery, okay, and has the highest margin. And as I said, that it's sometimes difficult to make a generalization about an industry, but you've already seen which industries, because you've done this earlier, you've already identified which industries are doing better than others, which ones are the trend is their friend, and which industries the trend is their enemy. You've approached it as a stockbroker, so you've already got a sense for where they're saying buy and where they're saying sell. Now I want to do is I want to take a look at potentially what within those industries, what do those customers look like? And what you'll see is you'll either, you'll either finalize the decision on industry, you'll say that industry is the right one for us to pick, or number two, you'll say, you know what, we thought it was healthcare, but as I look at this closer, uh, it, the cost of doing business with healthcare is too high for us because we're not a good match to those types of organization. And number two, they're always being pushed on price, and so everything's going to be a price negotiation. And so that is what I want to do around identifying best customers. Now, let me take this a step further. And if you see this as a progression, this absolutely is. Uh, this absolutely is a progression that we are working down to greater detail. And this is your final transition from marketing to sales. Because from this point forward, the conversation is going to be about who do we sell to. And that is the fourth behavior, and that is what are the characteristics of the most profitable customers. And this is a drill down from identifying the best customers. And what you're looking for here very, very specifically is a match in vision, mission, and values. In other words, the culture of that company is much like yours, that their business models are either yours and theirs are compatible or what you offer is something that they've been looking for because a lot of companies in today's world are not looking to vertically integrate the firm. And if they can outsource some things that are non-core to their business, 
They're happy to do that if they can find the right partner because they know two things. It'll be done better and it'll be done for less. Well, maybe what they want to outsource is exactly what your core competence is. And so this is another way of taking a look at low-cost, high-margin opportunities. But this also relates to the, to the core element that we talked about uh, in terms of uh, strategy characteristics of these uh, market dominators when we said element number five, thrive on deals, partnerships, and alliance. Alliances, And this is where you identify the essence of what does a marquee customer look like and potentially who are those marquee customers because especially if you are in the early stages of growth, not that this is not important at any time, but since I'm talking to smaller businesses under $50 million, it will you to understand who your marquee customers are. And that's what you're trying to look for. You're looking for the right situation to create an alliance or a partnership a, a potential outsourcing of a function or the ability to scale off of their infrastructure, almost in a way kind of an integration of the two firms. And so those are the four behaviors that you would see in targeted industries. So let's, let's see where we've been. We talked about this issue of market intelligence. All these best companies did market intelligence. And what they did is that they had a good, an accurate picture of the competitive landscape, they, in product to knowledge, they clearly understood how customers were using their stuff, and they identified what industries that they wanted to target and go after that were the best match for their offer. And so are the four. Now, what are we going to do for tomorrow? Tomorrow is the last one of this series, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you the data that we've collected over the years in terms of what do the best of the best do. So with that, wealth and prosperity to all. Thanks for joining either in on the show or... Um, download uh, this one. And so with that, take care. Have a great business day.